0: Thank you, may be seated. At this time, we're going to have Dawn and Christina come up. Jim's been picking out all the songs. And so sometimes they obviously in the past were picked out specifically for the message. And we kind of talked about that. And I said, Jim, don't worry about what songs you pick out. Because I'm sure somehow or another they'll tie into the message. I had no idea what song they would pick. But it kind of ties into the message. The chorus there, there's a line that says, The greatest gift of the greatest love. That's what it's all about I invite you to turn in your Bibles tonight to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Very, very familiar passage You've heard me say before standing up here That there's nothing new under the sun So some of this isn't new But maybe an illustration, maybe something that's said the Lord can use I personally believe that there's something for everybody sitting here this evening Might not be the same thing for everybody I believe if we come with the right attitude And the right mind and the right heart That God has something for each one of you And as it's been said I hope He'll use my feeble attempt To get that point across You know you look at a familiar passage And you think Man how am I going to approach that Because most people know 1 Corinthians chapter 13 It's here on the wall It's used in Religious settings It's used in some Non and secular settings And it's a very, very familiar passage And that's what we're going to speak about I'm sure I won't finish tonight So as opportunity allows We're actually going to continue on with this chapter Uh, I approach it this way Same way as Sunday school I don't want to rush Just for the sake of getting something done But I don't want to get bogged down either So hopefully we'll keep it moving So 1 Corinthians chapter 13 We're going to look at just the first three verses But this chapter breaks down very nicely into three different sections. First of all, we have in verses 1 to 3, the necessity of love. The necessity of love. So in these first three verses, Paul's going to lay out why love is necessary. Why we have to have it. And we'll see here in a few moments that it is extremely necessary because it's the foundation of all. Next, in verses 4 to 7, we have the character of love. So first, Paul tells us the necessity of having it. And then he's going to go on to say what it is and what it isn't. See, I believe love is one of the most overused and misused words in the English language. And I'll explain that here in a few minutes. But I think it's overused, misused. I think it's just thrown out there. Sometimes I think we understand the purpose and what it means and we use it correctly. But we'll see how I believe that it's, it's... Way overused and misused. And then finally, verses 8 to 13 is the permanence of love. See, love never fails. In verse 8, it says, Charity never faileth. And we'll see in future that some things are going to pass away. But, but love, or charity, never faileth. So let's read these first three verses. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gifts of prophecy and I under and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity I am nothing. And though I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity it profiteth me nothing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the privilege and opportunity to be here, to look into your word, to see what your word has to tell us about love, about your love for us and our love for others. I pray that you'll help us as we uh, attempt to proclaim your word, that you'll use these feeble attempts to get what you would have across, and that we would be able to, to be a church that's full of love, a church that's full of truth, and a church that is fulfilling the Great Commission and fulfilling the purpose that you have for First Baptist Church of Elmer. We ask that you just help us this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. As I mentioned, love is overused. There's three words used for love in the Greek language. You may know this. I'm no Greek scholar. Don't pretend to be. But sometimes when we look at these kind of things, these words, it helps us to understand a little bit better. The first word in the Greek is eros, which is for passion, used for lust. And it's never one time used in the Bible so it's never in the Bible the second word, the second Greek word that is translated love is the word phileo which means affection it's where we get the idea of brotherly love we get the words Philadelphia we get the word philanthropist and those kind of things it's a brotherly love, it's an affection of a brotherly love Philadelphia what do they call it? The city of brotherly love Now I know sometimes our sports teams take a beating that we're not always so lovely But Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love And the third word is agape Which means divine love Love of the will And it's an unconditional love That word is used here and it's translated charity It's used nine times in this passage And it's used over 116 times in the New Testament So as I've said many times in Sunday school class and other places, if God's repeating the same thing over and over again, it's probably important. I guess I could say if He says it one time, it's important. But when He goes out of His way through the writings of the the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and these, these individuals that wrote, and He continually emphasizes the same thing, I think we should take notice. And so in this passage alone, it's mentioned nine times. Charity here is a good word and a good word in this translation Because charity has the idea of giving something You hear about charitable organizations What does a charitable organization do? They look out and they give to others So it has the idea of giving of oneself Love in the Bible has the idea of giving Unconditional agape love God, divine love So love gives What does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world that He what? That He gave. So that love caused an action. That love caused Him to give. Now I'm going to tell you something that's really profound here. So hold on to your seats. Chapter 13 follows chapter 12. Did you get that in your Bible? Chapter 13 follows chapter 12. Now these chapter divisions aren't inspired. They're to help us get through and to navigate and And as we teach the Iwana kids, as Ed mentioned, we teach them the very fundamentals in cubbies. And then we teach them the books of the Bible and where to find them. The books and where to find these chapters. But if we go back to chapter 12, what is he talking about in chapter 12? He's talking about gifts. Now everybody in this room that's saved has at least a gift. Now there's some people that believe that everybody has a gift. And there's some people that believe you can have multiple gifts. I'm not going to argue that one way or the other, but I believe that everybody has at least a gift. If you're saved, you've got a gift. So let me ask you this. What are you doing with a gift? Christmas morning rolls around and kids get that great gift. What's the first thing they want to do? They want to show somebody. They want to tell somebody about that gift. So what are we doing with the gift? So he says in chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. See, I mentioned in Sunday school this morning, Paul does not want us to be ignorant Christians. Now, we're not talking about bumping into somebody or spilling their coffee. He's talking about not knowing. Ignorance in the sense of not knowing a fact, not knowing something. So he says, concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you to be ignorant. And he goes through the whole chapter. We don't have time for that, but he talks about the different gifts. He talks about in verse 12, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Everybody in this room has a gift. Now at the end of the chapter, he goes on to say in verse 27, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. If You're saved and you're in this church, you're a member. You're a member of the body. In particular. You're particular. And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondly prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And then He has some questions. He says, Are all apostles? Well the answer to that would be no. Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Have all the gifts of healing? With all the sickness, wouldn't it be nice to have the gift of healing? I don't want to digress, but you look at some of these faith healers on TV If they were actually who they said they were, why don't we have them go to the hospitals? They could do a lot of good Do all speak in tongue, with tongues? Do all interpret? And then he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts So he wants you to covet earnestly the best gift There's nothing wrong with wanting the best gift and developing that gift for the Lord Now, you might have saw me singing along with the girls. I did it quietly. Man, I'd love to be able to come up here and sing with them and belt out that song. I love that song. But I know my limits. But he says, Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. Now, what is that more excellent way? Well, let's go to chapter 13, verse 1. He says, the more excellent way is though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding breast or a tinkling cymbal. And I've already read the other verses. So for time, the more excellent way is to not only have that gift, but to use that gift properly in the proper way is in love. So he wants us to get that point across. Covet earnestly the best gifts. Not instead of gifts, but along with the gifts. The more excellent way is to use those gifts with love. So we see chapter 12, and if you turn over to chapter 14, verse 1, after he goes through this whole chapter, this whole love chapter, he then says in verse 1 of chapter 14, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. So we have him describing the gifts, and then he says follow after the gifts, and almost as a footnote, I mean, no disrespect to that, in parentheses, if you will, he describes how to have the most, the more excellent way, the best way to use these gifts, and the best way is in love. So in between, we have chapter 13. I don't mean to put him on the spot, but the other night, Wednesday night in the business meeting, Bob mentioned about the necessity and the real need for having passion. I think that's what we need. Because if we don't have passion, if we don't have this kind of love, and we don't care how we use these spiritual gifts, you know what it's going to be? The gifts are going to be worthless. And you say, man, that's harsh. The Bible says it. In Isaiah, it says our righteousness is as filthy rags. I was telling them in Sunday school again this morning that we kid around, Dawn and the girls and I, that sometimes if we didn't think we had the right attitude or right spirit with something, we'd say... (laughs) Well, that was nice, but it's going to be all wood, hay, and stubble. Paul's going to lay out here the necessity of having love in these areas that are crucial. And he's going to point out, Bob was right. We have to have a passion. How many people are passionate about a sports team? How many people are passionate about reading, uh, about Now, here's an easy one, and I'm going to find out here shortly, and and I'm going to have that grandparents switch. But how many people are passionate about grandparents, Ed? I don't mean to embarrass her, and she's not here, but Sharon Hitchner posted some pictures of vacation and blew up my Facebook account with pictures of her grandkids. That's great. Shelly has had some pictures of, of their grandbaby. We get excited and we have passion about things But we need to have passion about this We need to have passion about this church A lot of things have been said A lot of things, you know, have been discussed And you know what? If we have passion for this community And we exercise this biblical love God will reward that But if we don't have a passion It's going to be wood, hay, and stubble Can I tell you something? Can I be honest? People aren't just going to come in the doors. Very rare. We have to go out and get them. We have to exercise these spiritual gifts with the passion and with the love that He says. Because you know what? If we do everything in the energy of the flesh, if we do everything without this kind of love, we're going to see that it's worthless and it's wood, hay, and stubble. Let's see what Paul says about love. Turn over to Ephesians 4.15. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part Make it the increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. You know what this church needs to do? This church needs to speak the truth in love. Notice it doesn't say we just need to speak the truth. Now, those of you that know me know that I'm a pretty stickler for doctrine and I'm a pretty stickler for the truth. But if we don't speak the truth in love, then we're missing the point. And if we're not doing it in that manner, It's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. Now why do we speak the truth in love? It's for the edifying of the body. If we speak the truth in love, First Baptist Church will be edified. How do you know that? God just told us. Listen, the truth is incredibly, incredibly important. But we also have to speak the truth in love. How many people like a doctor that, while he may come and give you the truth, has a horrible bedside manner? They might as well find another profession, right? But they come and and doctors, uh, police officers that have to go to a home and, and, and notify people of tragedy. In a secular way they go there and they speak the truth but they try to speak it in love. How much more so should we do that? But the truth is incredibly important. Church members are to speak the truth in love so that there is spiritual growth. The church is to be the place of truth. You don't have to turn there for sake of time But second, or 1 Timothy 3.15 After he goes through and lists the requirements and the, and the qualifications of elders and deacons He speaks these things And then he goes on to say in chapter uh, 3 verse 15 But if I tarry long That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself In the house of God Which is what? Which is the church of the living God The pillar of and ground of the truth what God wants from this church is the truth from His Word but the truth in love so as we look at the necessity of love the the Corinthian church came out of a supernatural background think about these things as we read through the Bible see sometimes I've mentioned in Sunday school as I've said that we sometimes start reading the Bible and we know how it starts we know how it ends and we get in this you know groove if you will but take the time to look at the background. Who was Paul writing here? The Corinthian church. If you remember right, we don't have time to go to it. The Corinthian church had their problems, didn't they? They had infighting. They had, oh, I'm of, I'm of Dave Mills. Oh, I'm of Dave Vicarry. Oh, I'm of Eddie. No that's not to be the case. That's not to be the case. This church had divisions. They had problems. They came from a supernatural background with the paganism and the demonism. And every one of us come from a background, maybe not like that, but everybody comes from a background, depending on what age you were saved, where there's uh, times where we didn't have a Christian lifestyle. And so the Corinthian church was at some point confused about what should carry over, what shouldn't. They got converted. But in chapter 12, verse 2, Paul tells them, "You know that ye were Gentiles. Carried away unto these dumb idols Even as you were led So they followed dumb idols So they weren't sure how much of the supernatural realm Could be carried over There has to be a difference in those realms Did you know historically Long before Christ ever came The pagans spoke in tongues Tongues is not exclusively a Christian phenomenon When it was occurring in the first century Today, Hindus, Buddhists, and others speak in tongues. So Paul's trying to lay out here, and the very first thing he says in verses 1 to 3, in verses 1, I'm sorry, is he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And what is he saying here? Verses 1 to 3 are a picture of the Christian life without love. Nothing Many charitable institutions are out there We have a lot of different charitable... Every time I logged on to Discover the other day And they've got a thing... uh, Support the victims of Hurricane Matthew And all these other things And there's nothing wrong with that But again, God wants us to have the right motive And to do these things with love Because if we do it without love It's going to be worthless Even for the Christian If they are executing their gift without love It is of no value. Paul indicated in chapter 8, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians, he says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth." So out of the, I don't want to say out of the blue, but in that spot, he just briefly mentions, notice how Paul just throws it out there. Paul's good at that. He'll throw a thought, an idea out there. And I guarantee you, you can mark it down that somewhere along the line, he's going to expound on it and give you more information on it and give me more information. And that information where he expounds on it is chapter 13, the chapter before us today. Paul indicated in that verse how charity edifies while knowledge puffs up. In verse 1 Paul speaks about tongues Throughout the scripture Tongues is not gibberish Now this sermon isn't about This message isn't about tongues But I think it's interesting to note That Paul says Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels And have not charity Even if he did those things I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal So what do angels sound like? Anybody ever talk with an angel? Turn over to Revelation 14, 15. He says, Another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, thrust in the sickle, and reap." For the time has come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in the sickle. So what was the angel's speech? It was just like we'd speak. He spoke in an intelligible, understandable, had verbs and subjects and all those different things. That's how the angel spoke. If you turn over to Revelation 21, 17. 21:17 talking about the new Jerusalem and he measured the wall thereof an 144 and cubits according to the measure of a man that is of the angel. So what's a cubit for an angel? A cubit for an angel is the same as a cubit for a man. So what does an angel sound like? An angel sounds like any other intelligent voice that would be spoken. When the angel came to Mary, he spoke that she could understand. God always speaks clearly through the Bible and so do the angels. No example in Scripture is given of angels speaking something that cannot be understood. So don't get caught up with a charismatic type movement where somebody will tell you I'm speaking in the tongues of angels. No, it's just gibberish. I'm not knocking those folks. There's a lot of sincere folks. But let's not get caught up in that because Paul said that even if he spoke with tongues and the, and the voice of an angel Even if he did that And he has not charity He is becoming his sounding brass Or a tinkling cymbal Verse 1 So what are these things? The sounding brass and the tinkling cymbal You know what it is? It would be like me on the piano, Cheryl It would be just noise It's noisemakers I remember when Dawn was pregnant with Amanda and then she had her and family would say, what can we get her? What can we get her? Matter of fact, we were just talking with my mom this afternoon about uh, her bringing down clothes and all that stuff because we're talking about buying for the grandbaby. And I remember Dawn and I told them, you can get her clothes, you can get her books, one or two little toys, but you can't buy her noise toys. Now, I'm gonna be a grandpa, so I probably can buy noise toys, right? <laughs> I wouldn't do that to her. But we said, no noise toys. I said, you know what's gonna happen? Miraculously, those batteries are gonna die. We didn't want noise toys. These, when I was a high schooler, I listened to music I probably shouldn't have. And I would listen to it before I went to bed. So I'd leave. now. I had a turntable So I couldn't have played for long But my dad didn't really care for that music And he didn't really care that I was playing it When I was going to sleep My dad was a very conscientious And very frugal guy at times So he would come down And he would take the power cord From my turntable And he would tie it in a knot As as, as much as he could tie And I'd have just this huge mangled knot and the, and the plug. And he left me a note that said the energy angel has struck. <laughs> he didn't like the noise now looking back at this age and looking at it yeah, it's just noise. But Paul's saying and these are very rare terms sounding is only used two times in the Bible this word for sounding and brass only five He's saying that even if I could speak with the tongues of men and of angels and wax eloquent and do all these things, even if I could do all of that and I didn't do it with love, if I didn't do it with charity, I'm just empty noise. I'm just empty noise. It's been said that symbols, historically pagans would use symbols to try to invoke demons and have conversations with them. So even if we could speak in tongues, and even if we could speak with the the sound of angels, even if we could do all of that, and we have not love or charity, it's just empty, loud noise. In verse 1, you can see he's using his mouth. If we don't speak the truth in love, it's like a clanging noise. The mouth is where we normally struggle. Isn't that the truth? I mentioned this morning that one of the things that I'm working on is trying to be much more patient in traffic It's real easy, Reggie, is it not easy to not be patient in traffic? Reggie travels further than I do but our mouth is where we can really get into trouble remember James says just the little rudder of the ship moves that big whole ship so we need to use our mouth in a way that we speak the truth in love as we've mentioned because if we don't then it's just going to be loud clanging noise and people aren't going to listen. Verse 2. And though I get and though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity I am nothing. So verse 2 he talks about the use of his gift. Now obviously I think Paul's gift here was prophecy. But Paul expounded on the mysteries in other areas. Ephesians 3, he talks about the church. Ephesians 5, he talks about other mysteries. And he explained them. So Paul knew about these mysteries. He was able to explain them. Notice the three all's. All mysteries, all knowledge, and all faith. That about covers it. And he says that if I have all of that, and even faith to where I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. So even if He could remove that mountain That kind of reminds us of Christ Telling the disciples That faith is a grain of mustard seed You could move that mountain So even if He could remove the mountains He's nothing So in verse 1 we see the use of the mouth In verse 2 we see the use of His gift In verse 3 it says And though I bestow all My goods to feed the poor That sounds pretty admirable, doesn't it? I think we should help the poor I don't know if I should say it, but I, I guess I will We've talked before about how generous the church is with the deacons fund And how it's, it's, it's a blessing and it's it's an encouragement That we are able to help those in need Because folks care and folks give But you know what, if we just give that to somebody Just to be seen of men or just to Uh, For them to say, oh, what a great church, First Baptist Church of Elmer is. If we're not doing it, if we're not giving that with the right attitude and the right spirit of loving that person, that family, whoever might have that need, it's nothing. Giving goods to the poor, it says, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. That's pretty... Intense if you're willing to give your body to be burned It immediately had me think of all the the radical Muslims and others that That really don't care about death They go into their cause and they're so set on their cause They're not doing it in love Far from it So even if we were to, to, to be willing to give our bodies to be burned, to be martyred If it's not done in love And Paul says, it profiteth me nothing. I think Christ himself said, what would a a man give for his own soul? People value, or should value, life. Unfortunately, in this country, a lot of times we don't. But if we valued it, but we were willing to give it for another, but we do it without love, it profiteth absolutely nothing. So in these three verses, we see that the necessity of love is Love is absolutely necessary in everything we do here at First Baptist Church of Elmer. Whether it's a dinner, whether it's VBS, whether it's driving somebody to the hospital, whatever the case may be, we do these things in love. This love is an act of the will. Love involves the heart in verse 1, the mind in verse 2, And the will in verse 3. This type of love is a giving love. We are to covet earnestly the best gifts, but but they are to be exercised in love. And how do we do that? What is love? It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. How do we get that love? Well, first of all, we have to have received the love of God. The only way to genuinely demonstrate that love is to have first received it. The Bible says we love Him because why? He first loved us. So that's how we experience it. I'll give you an illustration. Write down a string of zeros. So picture this in your mind. Eloquence alone is a zero. Knowledge alone is a zero. Faith alone is a zero. Sacrifice alone is a zero. And martyrdom alone is a zero. Was anybody paying attention and realize how many zeros we had? Six. So if we put all those six zeros together, what do we get? We get zero. But if we put the number one to the left of all that string of zeros, then every zero amounts to something. So if we take all of those zeros, eloquence, prophecy, knowledge, faith, sacrifice, martyrdom, we put a uh, a number one to the left, and that that number one is love, then all of those zeros take on meaning, and they all mean something. So if we put love before everything that we do, it gives value and meaning to all of those efforts, those gifts. So without love, your gift, my gift, your efforts and my efforts are worthless. So let's be a church that's not only strong in the faith, but strong in love. Let's be a church that speaks the truth, but speaks the truth in love. And let's be a church that it can be said that that is a church that loves. Next time I have the opportunity, we're going to look at the character of love and see what love actually is and what it isn't. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the privilege and opportunity to look into Your Word. We thank You that You do love us. We thank You that we've experienced that love. We pray that You'll help us to be a people, help us to be a church that will exercise these gifts, but exercise them in a manner of love so that for eternity they'll have value. Thank You for all You've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. What One eighty Hymn number one eighty-seven. Let's stand up. fifth stanza and we yes
1: that's the fifth stanza and when <laughs> this flag pray and be
0: dismissed. Thank you, Father, for your great love for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that uh, that you have um, a plan for us and that
1: the, the very root of that plan is your love and that love flowing out of us so that others may see it. Help us, Father, to be loving people. Help us to love you more so that we can love others more. Thank you, Father. Be with us this week as we go our way and uh, protect us, watch over us, be with those with special needs and, and uh, those that are
0: away from us right now. And we ask, Father, for all this in your precious and holy name. Amen.